Hi, Dad. Hi, Celine. Did you know that you and I are about the same age if you count time living in the world? What do you mean? Well, as you know, I left a high-control religious group around the time you were born. So you're in your 20s then? <laughs> well, maybe in my head. The thing is, though, because I had all of my beliefs about morals, science, politics, religion, philosophy provided for me, I spent the last 25 years trying to work out what I should think about a whole bunch of stuff and work out what's going on. No one knows what's going on, Dad. <laughs> well, I think it's about time we did. What Should I Think About is a podcast that sets off on a lofty goal to make sense of the complicated, contradictory, confusing but wonderful thing we call the world. Hello and welcome to the What Should I Think About podcast. I'm Celine. And I'm Stephen. Um, so, celebration, celebrate, woo 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 woo. <laughs> so it is the 100th episode, though it might have not seemed like that on the thing, just to clarify. Yeah. There's like yeah. a thing with the Apple where I guess it's like a trailer or something and counts that as an episode and then... Yeah, I don't know what happened, but we start at episode two um, for some reason, or number two. Mm. Um, and I also, in the early days, I also gave it a number of my own, uh, mm. which didn't uh, match the number of the Apple thing because we had bonuses as well. So um, in the end, I just gave up on all of that and stopped giving it a number and just went with the Apple uh numbering system so sorry about that it's all very confusing but it is actually our 100th episode today we are recording our 100th episode and it is pretty much exactly a year and um, since we launched the podcast Celine. well well <laughs> show a bit more enthusiasm you. well no yeah, <laughs> that's amazing it's good Come isn't it it's is good year. Yeah, mm -hmm. we've been doing it for a year. Uh, we've covered loads of topics. And we've sort of gotten into our own now. I think it takes about a year to get to yeah. a place where it holds a shape. So we've done a few shape changes and now we're, hmm. we've found our shape. Yeah, that's right. I think I think you're right. It, um, it was in the early days, we, we sort of just talked about lots of different subjects um and then we started to really start to identify the uh i suppose the the most interesting thing about me is my um, xjw uh, background oh, it's not it's like the most interesting but it's just a good in isn't it it is and people like to talk about it yeah too. exactly so we didn't kind of start with that as our main thrust really did we but um we started to, to talk about that and it seemed to provide lots of interesting areas of discussion so yeah, yeah, it's not changed massively in the sense that it's just mm. the format and the way that we talk about the things. So we're not doing anything massively different, but we just found a way to get into it, basically. Mm. That's right, yeah. That's what you've got and, to do. And about halfway through the year, we, we started to interview people, which we didn't mm. at first. Um, no, that, and that was, was well, you brilliant. started that on your own, because I went mm. to Cornwall for a film project, right. and then you did that um, first episode with Jexit. That's right, with Riley of Jexit fame. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, he was such a lovely guest and uh, really, really enjoyed doing that. We thought, well, let's let's see if we can get some more guests. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, we have a guest every Sunday. Um, and yeah, they seem to be the most popular episodes, um, mm -hmm. which is great. We really love talking to all these different interesting people. Yeah, And uh, the one that just went out, we're actually in 
Donna's bio on um, the Truth Hurts Instagram. So, oh, lovely. Oh, yeah, because it's her whole story, isn't it? So, you mm, know, yeah. Great thing to do. Wasn't it an interesting episode, that? Um, mm-hmm. So many interesting things that she talked about. Um, two hours plus, um, so it's the longest episode ever. Um, mm-hmm. But that wasn't us, really. That was just Donna. She wanted to, to she had a tell way her to tell whole story. story. She told it. Yeah. That was, that was the Which way was we wanted great. to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah, exactly. So we thought as a, as a bit of a kind of special, this, uh, this episode will be uh, a bit of a, a, a reflection, yes, of, of the, the year. Um, a heck of a lot's happened. Obviously, we, we started it in lockdown. Um, it was in lockdown two we started. Right, yeah. Technically, right. people forget that there was that second lockdown. They, they forget about that one, but there was summer lockdown and we had the weird tears then we had you know where different regions of the uk lockdown this is in the uk yeah that's right yeah then we had a christmas lockdown um that carried on until Mm. like may so yeah Mm. we um we started this podcast in the big lockdown the big second lockdown the big big nasty christmas one yeah yeah Mm. that was um that was particularly unpleasant because they they sort of did it at the last minute, so people like, <laughs> already. We won't do. The relatives we won't get rid of stuff. Christmas. It'll that be fine. Way. Buy your big yeah. turkeys. Don't worry about it. Everyone can <laughs> have it. It, it. it was because they kept doing that thing. And they're like, mm. uh, one-off things were fine. Like you can have, uh, you can go to the pub so long as you're having a substantial meal. And there was the whole Scotch egg debacle. And then like, yes, Christmas is okay. COVID won't spread over Christmas. Actually, no. <laughs> So no you can Christmas. We'll allow you to have five days over Christmas to go and see your, your relatives, and mm-hmm. then, um, then it was well, just maybe a day, and then oh, let, let's just. And then it was it just that was it. Bugger it, it's done. Yeah, and um, <laughs> anyway, So yeah, but we decided so to use our time that. to make a podcast. That's right. So it's been a funny old year, um, but um, very, very interesting, and uh, yeah, it's mm. probably the most rewarding thing I've ever done. So we thought we'd just reflect. A little bit on some of the guests we've had and some of the episodes we did. Um, if you are a new listener, then maybe uh, it'll inspire you to go and dip back into our back catalogue, as it were. Um, you'll see certain things change. Um, so in the early episodes, we kind of come across in stereo. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> yeah, that what when it's like in different ears. Yeah. Yeah, I yeah. find that really annoying. I'm sorry to everybody because <laughs> I was listening back to it to find some of the bits we were going to talk about, and I was like, ugh. Yeah. yeah. I hate it when it's in one ear and not in the other ear. I hate that. Well, it's because we were using the the zoom with the two mm. mics that point in different directions, so we were sat sat together, weren't we? You were living yeah. at, at home at that point. So so. It does sound like you were sat in the middle <laughs> of a conversation. Conversation, yes. and like someone's talking in one ear and someone's talking in the other ear. Well, those are the very early ones, and then we, we yeah we, we get better quite quickly. Yeah, yeah, um, and there's varying degrees of quality on mics. Um, it's always tricky when you're, uh, you know, you're doing it over Zencaster is the app we use, but that's uh, a good app though. It's not bad, and the guests, of course, you never know what what quality they're going to come across with. So we do the best we can, and mm-hmm. uh, we. Generally, I think it comes across okay. Yeah. Uh, so what are we going to start with? Let's get in, into it. Um, we, we've chosen some episodes that we thought we'd just talk about because we either like them or think they're interesting. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we both sort of went through them and, and picked a couple each. Mm. 
Uh, we've also got some guests to, to talk about. We'll play some little clips of the episodes and then talk about them. So where, where are we going to start? Well, starting with the holodeck, um, for reasons none other than Dad just likes it, um, <laughs> I think. Yeah. So when, when we first started, the, the, the cult element wasn't as big. I mean, we always wanted to talk about cults and high control groups. But we, we really wanted to talk about all sorts of things. And I think we've managed to do that. Um, so the holodeck has got nothing to do with, with cults. It's, I suppose, unless you count Star Trek as a, mm. as a friendly, um, harmless cult. But um, in the Star Trek series, they have this thing called a holodeck. And we, uh, we had a chat about it. Mm-hmm. It's um, the, the first thing that made us want to do a holodeck episode is... Um, just just how dangerous the holodecks are. They yeah. are death machines <laughs> um, yeah. that, that apparently people just don't mind putting their life at risk for the joy of the holodeck. I don't know. Yeah, so one of the things we've been doing recently is we've been watching the sort of all the, the back catalogue of Star Trek series on Netflix, haven't we? Yes, which obviously everyone should be doing. I think you should do that. It's... That is important lockdown 2.0 electric boogaloo material. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, we've uh, we've been going through that. We went through Star Trek Deep Space Nine, which has plenty of holodeck um, yeah. stuff in it, and we're now going through the, the, the Next Generation. So that's the, the Jean Luc Picard, Jean Luc, and <laughs> the, the first iteration of, of holodeck adventures. Mm. And we just um, obviously we love Star Trek, and we're big fans. But I think any fan. Um, can see the humour and the ridiculousness of a lot of the things in Star it's Trek. It's so stupid. <laughs> it makes like, you laugh, doesn't it? I just imagine imagine if we were having a trip on the Enterprise and be like, oh, do you want to try the holodeck? And we'd be like, no, <laughs> no, it's fine. And they'd look at you like befuddled, so that why wouldn't you want to try this amazing tech? And we'd be like, we know what happens in the holodeck. <laughs> like, people die. <laughs> yeah, so our, our big first concern was the health and safety record of the holodeck. Yeah. And we likened it to like if you had a um, a VR headset that every now and again would poke your eye out. Yeah, just sometimes. <laughs> yeah, normally it's okay, but every now and again it'll just either poke your eye out or you know stick something in your eye or just blind you or for kill a bit. you basically. Yeah. Um, you know, would at what point would would that be withdrawn? <laughs> yeah. From service? Yeah. At what point would it be like? You know, PSA, hmm. we need to stop using the VR headsets. Yeah. But no one ever questions it in no. Starfleet. They just love them. They just keep using the, the holodeck. Yeah, so I had, I had a lot of fun talking about the holodeck. It's something that we, we still mm-hmm. laugh at today, isn't it? Yeah, um, I don't know yeah. if we said that in that episode, but it is like, um, I was like, days since last accident would be really funny to have outside. <laughs> just a sign. It's like... Is would it ever get into the double figures? <laughs> Day since That's last accident too. <laughs> I'm sure somebody must have done that joke somewhere. That's brilliant. I, I want it. to edit it in, like you know when they do like re-edits of um like old sci-fi and then like you know yeah. do the cut scenes yeah, yeah, with yeah. with stuff in that everyone hates. But I'd love to do a really small version of that where it's edited in. So every time they go inside the holodeck, there's just a sign outside that says "Days since last accident," and it's always like under ten. So it's, so it always looks like there's been an accident in the last ten days. That's great. That's the other my thing small we, addition. That's a great idea. The other thing that I I've talked about before is having a um like a 
like thinking about Star Trek, like all the the action happens, you know, like on the bridge something happens, mm. and mm-hmm. then somebody storms out, you know, and um, I I I always think what's happening in the room that they go to, you know, or mm. or when Has, when isn't Kirk... there a channel of that? I'm well, sure the lower the decks, isn't like... there? Yeah, just mm. in the other rooms when no one knows what's going on. Yeah, it's, like, oh. yeah, it's <laughs> just awkward. Just the awkward. I wouldn't like yeah. to watch that as a content because I don't know if this has a name or not. But I have a thing that I just can't stand embarrassing stuff. Mm. I can't stand embarrassment. It's an emotion I can't cope with. <laughs> I can't cope with being embarrassed. I get secondhand embarrassment. I watch no, TV no. and I know it's not real, but because they're doing something embarrassing, <laughs> I have to leave. I just leave the room, yeah. Dad loves Can't to play the it. game where he puts embarrassing stuff on so like we do to mum we put horror films on and then to me they put embarrassing programs on and i'm like i go to the bathroom and i don't need the bathroom to try and get away and he's paused it because he knows what i want <laughs> that i need to leave it's so mean well yeah you have to, you have so to that's overcome that. that's any way of overcoming phobias is to gradually introduce it into your life i just so i don't get need, used to it no no Okay, right. Let's um, the next one. Then we're going to talk about sticking with the kind of sci-fi theme. So these are mm. these are episodes that we did all in one little block. So these are the first four or five uh, we recorded uh, when we first started the podcast. Um, and um, I I talked about my my days being interested in. I suppose well they're called ancient aliens these days, but it wasn't called that in those days. Um, so nerd yeah, let's stuff. <laughs> Let's play a clip. So we talked a bit about why you love the show. Like, obviously, I'm not super <laughs> into it. Um, I think it is both simultaneously the most boring and the most infuriating <laughs> thing I've ever watched. Um, however, uh, you're not just a viewer of the of the television show. You've seen them. You've met these weirdos in person. I've not you... met the aliens. No, no one's met the aliens. That's the point. No, but you've gone to a convention. Where? Well, a I, convention. I, I wouldn't call it a convention. He's been to a convention. <laughs> so this is going back a long time. It's very fuzzy. Um, so I can't remember all the details, but um, this is going back to when I first left. Yeah. I was like an infant, so I obviously yeah. don't remember this. So then at some point recently in this timeline, you, you confessed and I was just like, okay. <laughs> I didn't get to meet Giorgio or Georgios, I'm afraid. Um, it's just a secret picture somewhere <laughs> under his bed. <laughs> Him like shaking hands with yeah. a crazy man. <laughs> no, I, I didn't get to meet him. He wasn't a big deal in those days. Um, he was probably only a kid. So Because we are talking about the 20 picture years of a ago. toddler and dad. <laughs> Yeah. he's like i know what you're gonna become <laughs> um yeah so we must be talking about 20 years ago um because that's when i left the jw's so um so yeah i did go to a i'd like to call it a meeting you went to a convention um but it, <laughs> it was in london it was in a, a big hotel um the sort of conference room and it's quite a grand place i, I can't remember what it was called um but i i went up there on the train and um you got the train. I did. I got the train and attended it. And what what happened? It's quite funny because I always get places early, mm, as you know. Yeah. I always like to be early, so I was really early. Mm. Um, and I stood outside waiting to be let in. You know, when you're going to a, um, a conference or something, there's always like that that board at the front saying "Welcome." And actually, it was all to do with a magazine called quest for knowledge magazine i've forgotten about that 
So Quest for Knowledge magazine, if any listeners have got any old copies of that, I'd love, because I, I can't find any. And this was, I bought this religiously every week. You've all been destroyed. <laughs> Quest for Knowledge. Um, and there was a guy there waiting with me. And I can't remember his first Did name. Did you make friends? We spoke. <laughs> um, I can't remember his first name, but he happened to be the an editor or the, mm. the guy, I think the the guy that started the magazine, his second name was Ogilvy. I don't know why I can remember that. I just can't. What was his last name? Ogilvy. Of course, the man from Quest for Knowledge was called Ogilvy. <laughs> that was his second name. And because I was talking to him, and he, he obviously had put on the, he was the guy that was putting on the conference. Because mm. I was talking to him while I was with him, or seemed to be with him, the, the guy, the doorman, mm. said, oh, you can come in now. So I just kind of went in with him. Oh. <laughs> so there was me and Ogilvy. We went, <laughs> we went into the to this room, this huge room, where all the delegates were going to be. Um, and I got to meet some of the speakers. Mm. I mean, I shouldn't have been in there, really. Somebody came to me and said, who are you? I said, well, I'm just, I'm just here to be part of the convention or, sorry, the... Um, no, conference the yeah <laughs> um and so they say oh well you're, you're lucky you got in you know you got got in head of everybody else so i got to talk to a couple of people and i'm pretty sure i got to talk to a guy called john anthony west who is kind of like the granddad of all this i think he's sadly passed away but he was a lovely guy and very gentle and very interesting to talk to and i spoke to him a little bit um and yeah and then people started to file in and mm. i think he was speaking so um it is very hazy but i think he was talking at the event and uh and and then obviously i took my seat and and uh, listened to the convention the other thing that happened was um they had a uh that they, they somehow this is in the early days so it wasn't so discredited and so crazy at that point and they they invited a, a guy from the Egyptian antiquities across mm. a proper one of the the guys who yeah, they wouldn't do that was now. responsible for it. He came across and actually spoke at the event. And Celine, I actually asked him a question. Oh. You know when they say, "Has anybody got any questions?" Yeah, no and they got Roby Mike's, and I put my hand up and I I asked a question of of Egyptian antiquities man. What did you ask him? <laughs> Is it possible? <laughs> <laughs> No. <laughs> that would have been brilliant. That, and then and that, that was the inception, started. yeah. <laughs> Stephen Maffer credited as the creator yeah. of the catchphrase, is it possible? <laughs> no. Um, Tiny little toddler with giant hair notes <laughs> sat it down. in the corner. Yeah, just like, Ooh, that's a good idea for a TV question. show. <laughs> no, so what, what it was, was um, around that time, there was a lot of talk about what was underneath the Great Pyramid mm. of Giza. So it's still a question. There's the Great Pyramid of Giza has a lot of shafts um, in it, so lots of secret um, yeah. bits to it. And there's like a there's like a little door, a very small door, right um, down at the bottom of the pyramid. Again, I, I could be getting some details mm. wrong here. Um, and there's a lot of talk about what was underneath the Great Pyramid, and there was this speculation that there was a great hall of records. And in this great hall of records was the ancient records of, you know, how we got here. And I guess, you know, that you can you can interpret that or you can put onto that anything you like, can't you? So that mm. could have been 
the secret about the ancient aliens. Um, I just love that apparently one of the bits that I get excited about is that you got the train. Yeah, I know. Like you got, I, the, tra- I oh, sorry, I got the train. You got the train. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, you made such a journey to get the train in the infamous I train. I don't London know if that is- was just. I don't know if it was just because we were so in lockdown at that point. The idea of like going places was just like unfathomable. So I'm like, you got the train. train. You took a journey. I don't know yeah. why that got I, me, but it did. I was puzzled about that at the time, and every time I listen back to it, I, again, I'm I'm puzzled by your shock. I don't know. I don't know if in my head I thought it was just like it was something nearby, and you're like, oh, I'll give it a go. But because like I'm like, you took the train. You like made a day of it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> What did you bring sandwiches? <laughs> a flask? <laughs> Anyhow, know. yeah. Very odd. Uh, mm-hmm. Right, okay. So those are the two that I picked out because I, I just found them quite funny. Uh, mm-hmm. Obviously nothing mm-hmm. really to do with, with um, XJW, although the Ancient Aliens one, in a way, was It is. Uh, it kind of carries on. Journey. It's your journey, yeah. Yeah, it's my searching for... You know, what I what I believed now, mm-hmm. and I think I went through a few different cycles of ideas. And well, you um, read yeah. some weird like Bible um, prophecy bunkum mm. Um, mm. just to kind of prove how ridiculous it was from different avenues. Because J Dubs do that too, um, but I guess reading it from people that aren't them, you can look at it and go, "Wow, this is stupid." And then you go, "Well, it probably means when my people do it, it's a bit stupid too." Well, yeah, but I think I also you, you kind of have a uh, an in inbred mm-hmm. um, trust in the Bible or belief that the Bible mm. is is something special. So you know, it, it is it is a place to go to if you want to. Uh, you know, try and understand the meaning and purpose of life and everything. Um, if you've been brought up to believe the Bible is is the book, then you're going to go there. Maybe, mm. you know, somebody else is going to reveal something uh, different. You know, but obviously I've, I've got over that. Yeah. You know, something that's so weird is sometimes, because I never met this iteration of you that, you know, believed in mm. the Bible and was mm. religious it sometimes it hits me how weird that is to imagine you mm. being religious and and going to the Bible for knowledge. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And and sort of, um, sort of you know seeing it as a wealth of information. I find that so strange. Every now and then it hits me because they mm. s- that's that's not who I know. Do you know what I mean? That's not my dad. That's really interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I wonder what you would have thought of me. Yeah, because obviously there are continuous things. We talk about identity Mm. a lot and how Mm. it does carry on. But then the certain parts of it, I'm like, who is that? That's not you. I don't know him. So, so yeah, if you'd have come to me about anything, you know, ask me a question about Mm -hmm. something, I would have got the Bible out or a publication more likely, you know, that covered that particular thing. So when you ask me questions about uh, relationships or whatever, Mm -hmm. I'd have got, you know the young people ask book out and uh, yeah talk to you from that you know where it's like when I you know the all these things that I'm like oh they all would have played out differently when I came home and said oh I've got a boyfriend mm. you know that would have been oh, oh my no, goodness that would have been terrible mm. yeah do you know what I mean oh, like all of these yeah 
Do you see what I mean? All of a sudden, it's you probably wouldn't have had a boyfriend because no. we would have um, instilled into you that you you weren't allowed to have a boyfriend. Yeah. You were too young to have a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. It's too young to be pairing off with uh, with members of the opposite sex, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, you should only go out with people with a view to marriage, and that should only be within their congregation, you know. And yeah. uh, that would have been what you would have done. And I think you are. Um, I mean, you you have your own mind. You're obviously a strong, independent woman, but I think you're mm-hmm. also you, you like to um, be nice and that I like compli- to make exactly people, you know, happy mm. and um, yeah. You know, it would have like been easy to manipulate like you. Yeah. yeah, I think it would, and um, yeah, I'm so so glad that we mm-hmm. we didn't do that to you. But yeah, interesting. Yeah. In just <laughs> in terms of like. Mm you as my dad I have a very mm. clear image in my head of who you are and how mm. I see you so then when you talk about pre past you I'm like who mm. who <laughs> so weird. yeah yeah let's we'll talk mm. about that um some more I think it's interesting stuff yeah so we'll, we'll come back to some of our picks um a bit later we uh, we also as we said started to have guests which I think was a really great move and wasn't really you know the result of a of a master plan it was just um just kind of happened but once mm-hmm. we started we thought yeah that's great let's do more and um so i kind of plucked up the courage to ask lloyd uh i i'm a patron of of lloyd's um so i uh, i sent him a, a little message in in patreon and um I said, would you like to come on our podcast? And didn't really think he would because we're not, you know, not big enough really. It's a, there's not a lot in it for Lloyd to come on our show, if I'm honest. You know, he's, his mm. audience is massive and we're not going to mm. add to that. Um, however, like you however, said, leaving the witnesses, he's become more generous. Um, indeed, yeah. And, mm. um, you know, he was generous with his time. He gave us some time. Absolutely. So, yeah, so it was really great to talk to uh, to Lloyd Evans and uh, you've picked a little clip out that uh, that we thought we'd uh, mm. we'd play back. Did you go through that as well, Lloyd, having a bit of a process of like, I'm there's going to be a little person that looks up to me and I'm going to have to tell them what what I what I believe was that part of the process for you or are you already you're already there? Um, I think that there was some overlap between my um, initial waking up and um, and either trying for a child or or Deanna actually being pregnant. So I think it was more in terms of if I, if if I'm honest, I think it was more in terms of the fact that I'd woken up. Or was or was waking up and very well aware that I was exiting uh, a religion that my wife was in, and in fact that my wife had married me with the expectation that I would always be a Jehovah's Witness. In fact, one of the things that she said early in our relationship was, "I love you, Lloyd," and the only reason I would have to ever stop loving you would be if you stopped loving Jehovah. And I remember that being something that she said very early on in our relationship. So when I was first starting to wake up, it caused me uh, quite a significant amount of trauma because I was in a relationship and I didn't know whether I would be staying in it. Um, And if I did stay in it, I didn't know what would happen if we had children. And I was so... uh, traumatized and so stressed by the whole thing 
I didn't get diagnosed at the time, but I, I think that I had something approaching a nervous breakdown. Mm. I just remember being in my bedroom for like a full day or several days perhaps and just doing everything I could to be unconscious because it was so intoler intolerable. <laughs> the, um, I mean, when you're, when you're seriously, seriously contemplating divorcing your wife and it got to the point where I, w I think I was even messaging my dad at home saying, Dad, I think I might need to come and live with you. For, bear in mind, I wasn't disassociated at this point. Dad, I think I might need to come and live with you for a while. I think Deanna and I might be might be separating. I th I, yeah, that, that happened. That happened. Mm -hmm. And um, those are very, very stressful <sighs> situations yeah. to go through. Um, I think that um, Deanna became pregnant when we'd reached a point where even if she wasn't necessarily fully awake herself, she, she'd already started down that road. So there wasn't any doubt when we were expecting Jessica that Jessica would be raised as a Jehovah's Witness. We knew she wouldn't be. In fact, if anything, it was expecting Jessica that forced our hand to the point where we felt, where both of us felt that we needed to disassociate because we felt that if we tried to fade because I was still doing my activism un undercover at that point under a pseudonym. I was a cartoon called John Cedars who, <laughs> who wrote a blog on jwsurvey.org. Someone had done a cartoon that looked a little bit like me, but not much. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, that was really for my wife's benefit, really, because I, I already felt so strong, um, fairly early on in my activism that I wanted to just ha be done with it and disassociate. But I kind of lingered on in, an in anonymity for my wife's sake. But when Jessica was um, well on her way, it just became crucial, I think, that we, that we formally sever ties because what we didn't want was a situation where our believing um, relatives, specifically Deanna's parents, or indeed my father, um, tried indoctrinating our child, uh, claiming, oh, well, we're, I'm only doing what you should be doing. You know, sure. uh, We wanted to have essentially the freedom of speech, to coin a Jehovah's Witness term. <laughs> we, we, we wanted to have the freedom of speech to say, actually, we've separated from this, and we're the child's parents, and we get to decide what the child gets taught. So... Mm. Yeah, that was basically how that happened. But that's a very good question. You've made me go into some places I wasn't expecting to go. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to need therapy after this episode. <laughs> yeah, I think with that one, the reason I picked it is because it's the start of a question that I ask a lot, which is, um, you know, people that have kids, how did having kids mm. affect your um, yeah. faith, religion, reasons for leaving if they did because yeah. a lot of people say they were wobbly anyway and then they had a kid and they were like mm, no or even Donna's I think was really moving which was she wasn't really wobbly at that point um but having you know she wasn't wobbly previous but then she had kids and she was like I would never shun you and she was shocked at yeah. herself mm. but you know it's the power of you know children I guess and, mm. and 
yeah, having yeah. having your child and wanting to do everything you can to protect them, I guess then you reflect on ways you didn't feel protected or, you know. Yeah, I think so. Uh, that you have and so on. Yeah, it strikes me that it's one of those moments where um, it can go either way, really, you know. So I think for some, if they've got doubts, they, uh, like me and uh, obviously Lloyd and lots of the people we talk to, mm-hmm. um, they've made that decision. But I think for others, it, it can be that um, they kind I of double down right on it. it's the right way of life. And- exactly, yeah, mm-hmm. because, you know, it's protecting, uh, there's protection within the organisation, you know, that's what they think. I mean, obviously, mm. uh, the reality is slightly different, but... Um, Especially after, you know, <laughs> yeah. keep talking about it, but Donna's episode. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, but I think, you know, so there is this myth that, um, you know, bringing up children as a Jehovah's Witness is as a Jehovah's Witness protects them from um, mm. all these terrible things that happen in the world. But obviously that's just nonsense. But, um, mm. but yeah, so a very, very interesting clip. Yeah, that was uh, a very interesting interview. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so we, we also talked to somebody that I had wanted to speak to for quite some time, which was Alexandra Stein. She uh, is a, a researcher and... Uh, the author of a, of a couple of books and the latest one was called um, Love, Terror and Brainwashing I think and uh, yeah it's a book that I really was keen to read and so yeah very very happy that we got her on the show so I'll let her explain her theory of attachment uh, we've talked about attachment before on the show it's a it's a well understood psychological uh, model of um, well, it started with with understanding the way that children get attached to their caregivers, um, but um, Alexandra Stein has has, a, has used it. Um, it is used in adult relationships as well, and she's used it in relation to cults. So I'm going to uh, I'm going to play a little clip where she explains that, and then we've got another clip where I ask her a particular question. So we'll come back to that in a moment. So. In attachment theory, which John Bowlby originated in this, I think his first book about it was the 70s, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. um, the major work, um, he talked about how human beings, and particularly children and babies, have evolved this need for attachment, which serves the purpose of protection. Yeah. So the babies that were protected survived, and the ones that weren't and didn't form a good attachment with Mm. their their families didn't survive so it got selected in so we know and he said this was as important a human characteristic or um as hunger and thirst Mm. and so forth Mm. so um so it's very very basic um and there's Secure attachment, which I think you've probably talked about before, where yeah. the, the child is secure and the, the parent is going to look after them when they are, require looking after. But equally, the parent will be flexible and let them go mm. when the child wants to explore their environment. And then there's various not so good forms of attachment, but that are good enough because sure. they're predictable. The form of attachment that's very problematic and that we see overrepresented in prison and clinical samples is called disorganized attachment. Uh, also re- uh, referred to as unresolved. 
So that refers to unresolved trauma or loss, right? Which is relevant to our population mm. here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and what that means is that the kind of attachment they've had with their their attachment figure, which normally is a parent or a close loved one, but in my research, I'm looking at a group. Yeah, is unpredictable. So. Basically, it's a kind of in, in one attachment figure, this good cop and bad cop hmm. are combined. So you never know what's going to come at you. Yeah. And there's, there's very important effects to that. The stress, and this is really important as relates to cults or any kind of abusive relationship for that matter, the stress isn't coming from outside or from your body, your own tiredness or hunger, it's coming from the attachment figure. Mm -hmm. The attachment figure is actually frightening. Yeah. But they're also your attachment figure. So you're thinking they're going to look after you. Mm -hmm. So, but they're the source of the stress. So the, the other, the other thing I really wanted to ask Alexandra Stein. So it's been a, a theme really that keeps cropping up in the podcast um and it's it's very much me trying to understand what i think about self and identity in relation to cults and high control groups um and i i feel like um i'm still still trying to work that out and i'm asking lots of questions i'm talking to the experts to people that have done research in this area um in order to try to work out what I think about it. So I asked her that question. No, no, I totally hear what you're saying. And I, again, I've heard other, you know, second and multi-generational sure. people talk about this. And I think it's a, I mean, just to say, I'm really happy that this, these second and third gener- multi-generational mm. people are starting to tell their stories and study yeah. this stuff because we really need this, their voices, mm. your voices. It's right. really, really important. And I, and I think it's a really, yes, yeah, a development of our knowledge, you know, which started with, you know, people like Lifton and even yeah. before mm-hmm. um, went through my generation and now. Anyway, I, and I think what you're saying is really interesting. I agree. I think it needs a lot of new thinking, you know, and I think for me, my, my colleague, my friend who came out of the cult with me, she described our experience as recruited members as when we were in the cult it was like living with a tarpaulin over your head (laughs) so you kind of had your little repressed self cowering underneath this tarpaulin yeah above which was the kind of propaganda version of life Mm. Um, and when you got out the tarpaulin sort of lifted Mm. and one could say my prior self was able to then come back with Mm. new things, obviously. I wasn't Mm. just the same. And I, so with, but, so I'm going to try something out because I've been trying to think about this as well because other people have been bringing this up with me. So thinking about that dissociation Mm. and the fact that you can't, think clearly about your feelings. And another way to think about that is that your experience, you you can't give a 
coherent narrative about your experience when you're in a cult because your narrative has to be what the cult tells you is the narrative. Absolutely, yeah, right? yeah. And it's this is what Hannah Arendt, who's one of my great heroes, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant woman, I think she talked about this split as the difference between it's the fiction that totalitarian systems create. And, I mean, we see this in our government right now. We saw this in Trump's government. Yeah, this is what propaganda is. It's a fiction. It's a fictional account of reality. And in a cult, you have that constantly about everything. So when you come out, you have to start trying to understand what is the reality. So actually, I am starving. I'm not rosy-cheeked and full. Mm. I'm hungry. And then you can put, or, or like when I do post-cult recovery with people, what I see the process as is reviewing their experience in the cult, which when they were in it was this narr- the cult narrative. And now they get to use their own eyes and their own brain to go back and review oh, actually, when that happened, that was because, you know, when I was separated from my parents, that was when my parents were sent off to Korea to get more training to make money for the cult, you know, and I was put into this horrible kind of orphanage, you know, or whatever it is. So you're reviewing that whole experience with your own ability to think, if I dare use the word, rationally, which just means what was the reality, what was actually going on? Because in a cult, you don't know what's actually going on. You don't know that there's a property empire being purchased <laughs> by from people's labor sure. or whatever it is. Mm. You know? So I've been wondering if maybe a better way to talk about this instead of talking about self is to talk about reality versus fiction and one's ability to autonomously review not just the cult experience but your current life experience and make your own judgments about what's happening. Hmm. In other words, think about your feelings with your orbital cortex working happily rather than – so just – Yeah, yeah. got there in a way but i feel like that might be another way to approach this rather than yeah. having self issue I, I love i love the idea that we can perhaps uh, and there's nothing wrong with the heuristic that you described of you know um for, if somebody has experienced this tarpaulin over the top of their I, I i totally get that and that's that's a great heuristic if you're in that situation and you know how do i make sense of of um, coming out of this thing well i've you know it's this it's like this so that's brilliant but um it is great if we've got i suppose the more um people that talk about this who've been born in perhaps the more we can move the conversation forward a little bit and say well you know that's that's not really good enough for it might work for uh those who've been recruited but for those that haven't we we need a different way of thinking about this <laughs> Yeah, so I thought that was really interesting and I was really grateful to Alex um, for sort of allowing me to ask that question and uh, not taking it as a kind of attack. You know, she she was genuinely interested in the question. And um, yeah, and, and I feel like we've 
we've broached that question now a couple of times with different experts. We did the same with Jilly Jenkinson, um, who's and a therapist. Yanya, obviously, because yeah. um, yeah. her books are better, very much about that. So That's right, yeah. Or her um, recent book anyway, yeah, because she's still got yeah. as well. That's right. Yeah, we're going to actually we're going to talk about Yanya Lalich now, aren't we? So uh, mm-hmm. uh, this was your choice. Tell me uh, about this, Celine. Uh, the reason I picked this clip is very much because it follows on from what you were saying and why you picked your Alexandra Stein clip is because, um, you know, her book is talking about born ins and she does mm. in these kind of clips I've talked about discuss that and you kind of, you know, I guess almost being thankful um, for mm. the affirmations of the book. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of why I picked these sections. Cool. Let's um, let's have a listen then. Um, uh, going back to your your book, Escaping Utopia. I know you've written many other books, but that that was um, for me. Uh, I found that really moving, uh, both because of the stories mm-hmm. uh, that you that you tell of of different people, but also personally, I found it really refreshing because it was about born-ins. And that's something that I've been a bit frustrated about, I suppose, reading a lot of literature is there's a lot of assumptions that people get dragged into cults and, you know, this is how it happens and this is the process. But, you know, for so many of us, we had no choice. We were born in. Exactly. Um, And, you know, how how do you think that's different? What are the different sort of psychological processes um, for born-ins, do you think? Well, you know, uh, when I did that book, you know, and uh, as you said earlier, I I interviewed 65 or 67 mm. people and um most of those were over the phone, some were in person. Um you know, my university didn't have the money to send me all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um but you know, I would get off the phone sometimes and just fall down on my bed and cry for like an hour. I mean, the stories mm. were so so hard, mm-hmm. so heavy. Um, mm-hmm. The amount of sexual abuse, for one, the amount of physical abuse, the mm-hmm. lack of any kind of decent education. I mean, so many of these groups, uh, again, at least here in my country, hide behind a homeschooling. And so homeschooling really just meant, you know, reading the words of the, of the leader. Um, mm-hmm. And there's so little regulation on that. And so when people get out, no matter their age, I mean, many, many leave in adolescence, um, manage to get out um, because there, there happens to be this thing called teen rebellion. I think that happens whether or not you were brought up in a cult. Um, and that's why, you know, like for example, the children of God, they had a special program for teens because they recognized that this rebellious phase was coming and they'd send them to these teen training camps that were just wow. hideous, right? Um, and, and, and the, um, and the fact that they don't go to school, they're sequestered. They're, they're, they, you know, as you know, from the witnesses, even if you went to a regular school, you didn't have any friends who weren't witnesses. You weren't allowed to, uh, you didn't get to join in the sports and and the games and the parties and all of that. So the the isolation is so severe. And I, and I think when people get out, um, the, well, there's several different things. One is if they, if they, you know, sometimes people leave, they don't even know their real name. They, they, they don't know who they are. They don't know if there's any relatives on the outside and there are absolutely no social resources for this population. They don't necessarily qualify to go to a domestic violence shelter or something like that. So a lot of them end up on the street. They end up selling their bodies. They end up on drugs. They end up couch surfing. 
Um, it's really tragic. And I know with the witnesses, um, you know, suicide is, is so prevalent and also mm. among, uh, children of God, uh, former, uh, former mm. children. Um, and that to me is one of the biggest tragedies. Um, it's why mm. I, I wanted to do that book and to bring awareness to this whole issue. Um, but because the, ch the children in these groups don't go through the normal developmental processes yeah. as a quote, kid in the outside world, um, it's almost like they have to go through that again. You know, they have to, mm. no matter their age, they kind of have to go through that, develop mm. those developmental stages and and mm. figure out who they want to be as an adult. Uh, another, um, you talked about that, that case, um, but there was another one that, it's funny because there's a lot of harrowing stories in, in the book, but... Um, there was one uh, from a young woman who'd been a member of the family cult. And, and although obviously she endured some horrible things, the thing that really got me was um, when she uh, went to do a little job, uh, she worked in a store, I think a grocery store. And um, there were some kids about her age mm, and all right. messing about and joking around and sort of a bit of banter. And she, she just couldn't understand how, young people or anybody else could have thoughts of their own. And yeah. she said to, well, did you think of that yourself? You know, and they all thought she was being sarcastic, but, and that kind of got to me. I thought, imagine, um, cause I never experienced that. Imagine not believing you could have your own thoughts. Right. Right. That's just staggering, isn't it? Yes. Yes. How, how do you recover from that? I mean, how do you help somebody? Well, you know, I think, you know, I'm a strong believer in what, what we call psychoeducation. Um, and, and so that's um, readings, some of the good literature about cults. Um, mm. And I, and what I do is um, I, I'm into writing, obviously I've written what, six books or something. <laughs> I'm, you know, since I was a kid, I kept a journal, all of that, but yeah. Um, but I have found that various writing exercises are really helpful. So often okay. I have people um, either uh, take my bounded choice model or take Lifton's eight themes, mm -hmm. if people are familiar yeah. with Robert Lifton's work, mm -hmm. and sort of outline how their group uh, enacted each one of those and so that they can yeah. like see it, like see it on paper mm. and see the enormity mm. of it. Uh, because there's always so much guilt. I think even for kids who leave, you know, it's like, mm. uh, you know, it's difficult. You're, you're probably leaving your family and your friends and mm. you're not sure you're really doing the right thing. And you think, Oh my God, what yeah. if they were right? You know, all of that. Mm. So I think seeing mm. the enormity of the, of the, uh, systematic influence, on you uh, really helps. Um, and, and I think you just have to take it apart little by little and, and mm. you have to not pressure yourself. Um, you have to not compare yourself to someone else like, Oh, Jimmy's so much further ahead than I am. No, <laughs> you know, it, we each have our own path mm. and um, finding a good support group can be really helpful. Um, mm. I've just started a new, uh, series called the Re recovery learning series where it's primarily education uh, but it's also there's also time for people to uh, participate and share um, okay. and so we're we're going to continue with those after my surgery um, and they're on zoom and so people can be from anywhere 
Um, okay. But I think, you know, I, I think really what it takes is hopefully having a good support system, at least a couple of people mm. who can mm. really help, you know, be there to mm. hold you mm. when you're crying or help yeah. you calm down from a panic attack. Um, mm. Be that what I call the safe haven. Um, so, yeah, I also picked that one about the family, not because um, of any like just specifics to that court, but just because I thought it was interesting to hear um, the fort stopping stuff to that degree, because obviously that is pretty intense. Um, and just found it interesting to hear, you know, someone going through that process of realization and, and, you know, cause ultimately they're in Yanya's book, so they're probably mm. out. Um, so how they yeah. kind of go through that process. It was really interesting. And, you know, if you find that story interesting, then you'll probably be interested to read Yanya's book really. Cause there's lots more mm. interesting stories like that one. Yeah, I mean that that's it's a really good book actually. I, I I had to read it in haste really because we 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 made an arrangement to to do the interview and I hadn't read the book at that point, so um, I had to read it in a day really. Um, mm-hmm. So I would like to actually read it in a bit more with a bit more time yeah, um, because I think notion. it's a very very good book. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, again, it was really lovely to have such a a world-renowned expert on the podcast um, to talk about her research. Mm. And, um, you know, both Alexandra Stein and Yanni Lalich, they, you know, they're in their 70s, I think, now. So mm. they, you know, they've spent their a, lot, a large part of their lives researching this stuff, both having had an experience with um, a type of cult. Uh, so, yeah, and both quite inspirational, really, in terms mm-hmm. of, for for me thinking about research as as somebody now in my 50s and um still thinking about what what I want to do you know I've taken quite a lot of um inspiration from those two academics so yeah so it's great to have them on the show mm-hmm. okay so uh so the one that I chose was uh, a guest that I chose to to talk about was John so John is my friend John Elson mm-hmm. um is somebody I've known all my life and um I mean, to be honest with you, I could have just played the whole thing because it's just it's just mm-hmm. a brilliant conversation mm-hmm. because we we were able to do it um, actually in, in person. person. Yeah, um, I think it just made for an even more fluid conversation. It was just great fun. So I've got a couple of clips. One where John talks about why he left, and then the second clip is uh, just a funny story, really. But I had to put it in. Let's listen to John. <laughs> So what was it that, that made you decide to leave? What what was can you tell us a little bit about that process? Why did you leave Jehovah's Witnesses? Um I suppose the witnesses do you remember that phrase double hearted? They talked about people mm. being double hearted. I even as a little boy, you know, when I was about the age of eight or nine, I always had questions, these questions in my mind, the things that didn't add up. I couldn't make a lot of sense of the meetings. The mm. meetings seemed quite deep to me as a little boy. I didn't understand what they were talking mm. about. So I used to sit and read the Bible. Right. In, in the meetings. So I spent yeah. five hours, because we used to go to meetings for five hours a week. I sat there reading scriptures. Yeah. And I've got this little theory that most Jehovah's Witnesses don't read the Bible. Right. Okay, that's interesting. <laughs> I'll come back to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They quote it and use it, but I actually mm. don't think many of them read it. When you read the Bible, the questions that came up, for example, I, I mean, starting Genesis, I, I thought as a little boy, God invented weapons. Right, God okay. invented. God introduced swords mm. to man. Mm. Do you know about this? Well, if you think about the Garden of Eden, the Garden of Eden, yeah. 
yeah, had yeah. a whirling sword. That's right. So if you take that as literal, which Jehovah's Witnesses do, mm. the first time and use of the word sword is in the Garden of Eden. I thought, oh, well, that doesn't make sense at the age of eight. <laughs> and there were lots of other things. I read, I read the story of Joshua where the sun stood still. Do you remember yeah, that battle? I do. Mm. In Joshua, mm. where he, he said a little prayer, yeah. and God made the sun stand still for mm. a day. Yeah. Right. Well, I was I was reading that and thinking, what? Now we know our place in the universe <laughs> yes. and where the Earth is. Yeah. How on earth? Why would God, in order mm. for a few hundred men to have a little battle over mm. here in this corner, yeah, make the whole of the universe stand still? And it just there was there was lots of stuff like that could go on forever. Mm. And I thought this is bizarre. So I always had this double right. side to me, mm. even though I. I think I became a good witness. Yeah. I was good at I was good at it. I did it properly. And I started doing my artwork. And the, other, the other thing I thought, what what am I going to do now? I've got no family, no kids. Yeah. So I thought, oh no, I'll go and do stand-up comedy. <laughs> I'd always wanted to do stand-up comedy. And there was a little bit of an element of that in my talks yeah. as yeah. well. It was quite mm. interesting telling people about yeah. the Bible and trying to sneak in bits about Samson and prostitutes and stuff. <laughs> but I, I wanted to make people laugh, I realised, on stage. So I, yeah. I, within a few months of getting divorced, found myself on the comedy circuit in <laughs> in going to pubs in London, standing at the bottom of stairs, Brilliant. doing stand-up comedy. Yeah. I did that for years. See, I think that's very interesting. Is <laughs> it? That's brilliant, yeah. Is it? Of course it is. Um, and what... I didn't, uh, my comedy, I didn't talk about being a witness, though. It never right. ever came into my no. my set at all. Yeah. Which maybe it should have done now. I look back at that and think, yeah, maybe it should have done. You perhaps would have been There's more successful. Plenty of material there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I gave up comedy due to public demand in the end because I just wasn't any good at it. <laughs> I just... <laughs> And comedy is a, another strange little mm. world because yeah. it's a small world. Everybody knows each other, but unless you're, unless you get spotted and mm. you know yeah. get, end up on the panel shows and yeah, you, you, there's no money, no money at all. It costs you to be a comedian. <laughs> so yeah. yeah, I did that for years though. It's really well. interesting. Um, you were able to kind of draw a line, a, a sort of. A narrative, a story from your days as a Jehovah's Witness, mm. and that part of your character was this person who liked to entertain, who liked to, um, you know, talk to people, and it was all about this entertaining people. And I remember your talks; they were always good talks because they were funny and interesting and well delivered. Um, and your answers were always funny as well. You know, if it was, <laughs> oh, Brother Elson, you know, it's like, all right, I'll sit up and listen to this bit. Oh, it's really? Going to be funny. I didn't know that. Um, and I think well, let me just I'm cutting you off yeah, in mid flow well, now, Stephen. Yeah, but well. um I went to my local pub recently. Yeah. And in the beer garden, it was a Sunday afternoon, it was full of Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh really? Right. And I said, What are you all doing here? It's Sunday afternoon. You Yeah. This is be before COVID, right, it's BC, okay. yeah, before yeah. COVID. <laughs> yeah. So the, <laughs> what are you all doing here? You should be out knocking on doors. Oh no, we're just having a break, we're just sitting here talking and, and there were some youngsters there, didn't have a clue who I was. All the yeah. older witnesses knew me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the, the younger ones didn't. So one of the, the younger ones came up to me and said, who's this, Dad? Yeah. And the dad said, oh, I remember him, John. He gave a talk about the Pope once, <laughs> right? Yeah. He had a cardboard cutout of the Pope. Do you yeah. remember this talk? I, you I, don't. I, I don't remember the talk, but I know the story. Right. Yeah, and, carry and on. It's great. He gradually undressed the Pope, <laughs> taking away all his pagan hat of Dagon because yeah. it's pagan and the robes and the thurible. And he said he ended up with the Pope in, in a pair of polka dot spotted <laughs> <laughs> and this young boy said, why don't we have talks like that anymore? <laughs>
Um, okay, so I have um, picked for mine as well, um, bounce back ability. Again, the reason I picked this one is because, um, you know, the podcast was originated during lockdowns and we were trying to talk about stuff that would help raise people's spirits. I think we'd had a bit of a rough few months as well in that it was locked down. Um, we had regular chicken death we own chickens i don't know if we've mentioned <laughs> that but we had we had four and now we have one so yeah, i mean yeah. that's that speaks to itself um so you know yeah lockdown regular chicken death um we have uh you know we've been rejected by a couple different uh creative arts projects that you know mm. we'd gotten really close so like it wasn't like we were just getting knocked back at the beginning because that doesn't phase me so much. We mm. got really far and then we got knocked back. Invested a lot of time and effort into yeah, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So things like that had happened um, and we were trying to like be okay with it. Um, so then that kind of, give, uh, the energy of that is in the first clip, I think. I think it gives you a bit more agency. If you If you just think of yourself as this kind of ball that keeps hitting the wall, then the ball doesn't really have any agency. It just keeps, keeps having to go through that experience. Whereas if you're learning from it, you know, you might be stuck in that experience, but the way that you cope with it, you might be able to adapt and learn from. Uh, I mean, nobody's saying there's a, a magic wand or an no. easy way of doing this. But... No, I think, you know, now we didn't talk about this in our, we have a pre-talk, secret, secrets. <laughs> we have a pre-talk. Um, we didn't say this before, but... Um, I think if I t was to think about what was a resilient moment for me in lockdown one, mm. it would actually be still doing stuff like this, the creative stuff, because mm. yeah. um, I was feeling quite knocked down. Because, <laughs> um, yeah. you know, we'd, as many of you probably know, if you're also artists, um, you get, you apply for things and you get all the way to nearly there and then they go, no, sorry. And they don't tell you why. Yeah. You do that a lot, and it happens a lot. And um... yeah, so we're talking here about um, applying for funding. So to do anything of any size, you kind of need some money. And uh, unless you're very lucky and you have uh, a lot of money sloshing around, you, you generally have to apply for funding, and, mm -hmm. and you often have to go through a lot of hoops. And it can it can be a bit depressing, can't it? You keep doing yeah, this. Yeah, and... yeah, because we got so yeah. close, and I was starting to feel, <laughs> I was starting yeah. to believe. <laughs> Um, it was a bit Morpheus moment, like he's yeah. starting to believe, and then it was like, oh no, yeah. dead. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, so I think that's right, and and everybody will have their own experience yeah. of, of these sorts of things. You, it, you, you keep trying, and you just you just don't feel like you're getting anywhere. And there's those moments <laughs> where you just think, what is the point? Yeah, it's it's yeah. very much like the artist version of applying for the job you want all the time. Right? Yeah, it's just it. applying for the funds to do the art you want to do. Um, yeah, yeah. And they pick someone, and it's. More, more than likely not going to be you because there's so many thousands of people um so you know but you know i had had a little covid cry um and then i got back up <laughs> yeah so <laughs> that's we right did talk about things that we're going to do differently so that was the important market difference i suppose yeah so there's a there's a couple of things that's pro probably worth um talking about in terms of the the way of thinking about resilience so there's one which is is think about resilience as a as a as about maintaining balance between um, the demands on you and the resources that you've got to be able to cope with those. Mm -hmm. And if you think about the demands on you, that could be like physical demands, 
it's more likely to be emotional demands or intellectual demands. Um, and we, we're put under lots of demands. And, and I would say in the modern world, we have more demands than ever. If you live, if you were growing up in the, I don't know, the 1800s or whatever, although life would have been really, really tough physically, nothing much was demanded of you really. Whereas now you're constantly in demand. You're constantly having to respond to things and you've got a lot of pressures on you. And um, it's the ability of you to be able to manage all of those. And, and you have to draw on resources. So there's a theory around, you know, you have a finite amount of resources, emotional resources, and you've got a, an amount of demands. And as soon as those demands exceed the resources that you've got to manage those demands, that's when you start to suffer with difficulties, if like you like. Like burnout and stuff. Burnout depression you know all the sort of mental illness um, issues that you might mm. encounter so it's really about trying to either reduce those demands or increase your resources i think even then in january you know we're nearly um we're nearly a year from that now mm. um you know there was this whole we're nearly there it's nearly done now we're nearly done it's mm. no- so nearly done um, and even we were laughing at that then do you know what i mean yeah. and like it's still going on you know it's different it's degrees like, of it but it's almost like saying the um that armageddon is around the corner uh, yes it's nearly here <laughs> any day now in the last you know of the I mean? last it's days like... yeah good okay um and then another one you chose was this um optimized crapness which i was surprised you chose that actually why it's funny <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't know. It just wasn't an episode that I sort of thought. Oh, that's a, that's a really good one. But um, I but yeah, think and, it's important and it was a bit different. Mm. that everyone knows and is directed to stop being mean to sales associates. <laughs> that's and all we, it is. You just want to get that the, message. Across. Yeah. No, no. I just, I, a, I think it was really funny. Um, you know, it was an interesting one in that it drew together two of our things, which is you know your lean. Mm. Um, business knowledge with um you know the fact that you think it's been misused it's been hijacked mm. by the retail industry <laughs> um I, I guess um isn't it just a game though isn't it just isn't it just the person trying to get the most that they can from this situation and your job is to sort of push back against that isn't that just just the transaction that's happening at that point I think it's fine to say, can you do that? When I say no, mm. then you need to just let it go. It's not happening. <laughs> Stop pushing <laughs> me on it. I'm not going to. If anything, you've annoyed me and I'm going I'm going to be less helpful to you. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, I'm so much, I think people forget that we're also humans and that I'm way more willing to go above and beyond if I like you. I think that's mm. something that people should bear in mind with customer service when they're like, oh, I'm really good at getting deals. I'm so great at this and that. And I'm like, I wonder what you could have gotten if you were polite and nice. <laughs> Imagine. Do you know what I mean? Like I've done so many, I've gone so far above and beyond for certain people because they're really genuinely lovely and just mm. nice. And I've, you know, stayed late and I've, you know, done more than I need to, to make sure that they get exactly what they want in the exact manner that they want it. Mm. People that are difficult to be around, and demand things i'll i'll do what is required Hmm. and i think that's worth bearing in mind 
I mean, this reflects the, the, the thing we've talked about on the assertiveness podcast and on the courses, isn't it? That, um, yeah, if you're aggressive towards somebody, you might get some sort of short-term compliance, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily mean that you get the person going above and beyond. Yeah. So that sounds like that's really what's happening. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. But it has an emotional impact on you, obviously. You're not one of these people that just um, just sort of brushes it off and sees it as just part of the game. No, because... It upsets like said, you, doesn't it? Well, with everybody that works there, the whole point of, re- of return customer service, I don't think we've talked about it on the podcast before, is emotional labour. So mm. businesses want you to buy into their business and like give emotional labour. So they want you to invest in the customer and like care about... Mm them right so they train you with that in mind and i would say pretty much everywhere i've worked has done that kind of training so they want you to care so then Mm. when people are horrible to you it's upsetting (laughs) yeah that's really interesting isn't it um yeah we that's something we're gonna definitely feature on an upcoming podcast isn't it and you've got some thoughts yeah. Uh, well, you've got some plans, hard plans to make yeah. a film about it, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. This emotional labour at work. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's interesting, though, isn't it? So the fact that you are being trained, being encouraged to put your heart into it and really care about the customer, care about the service you're giving, mm-hmm. means that it's it's more painful when the customer doesn't reciprocate, when they don't appreciate that. <laughs> So yeah, we we talked about that. So that was interesting. Um, yeah, um, and, and how we also you can get good things by being nice and stop being mean. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. And we also allude to um, emotional labour in that clip. Yes, which, emotional um, labour as well. We we will revisit important. that. I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that in tandem with I think um, sits nicely with emotional labour. So if you've mm. not listened to either of those, listening to those kind of back to back is good, mm. is good. Yeah. Um, and, and one of them is more cult specific than the other. So the emotional labour mm. one, we talk about that in relation to the kingdom smile and being a yes. good witness. Right. So, um, that kind of draws from that, I suppose we, we, we take off into that direction after that episode. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, um, I enjoyed listening to those little clips. I mean, trying to choose out of a hundred episodes. Obviously, we've got some um, uh, guests as well, but uh, the just the ones that we do on a Wednesday were uh, there's still plenty of those, and uh, trying to mm. pick some that that we felt we wanted to highlight was quite difficult actually. Um, uh, yeah, we've also done lots of other things. So we've done lots of TV and film reviews over the year. We we like doing those, and sometimes they're cult related. I think they mm-hmm. work probably best. Um, we did the Queen's Gambit, which is a a Netflix show. Which we just did really... that because it's just good. It's yeah, we just, just had to talk about it, didn't we? We really mm-hmm. wanted to talk about it, so we did. I've already uh, watched that three times. <laughs> so when we did that review, I'd watched it once. I've now watched it three times. Mm. Thrice, I've seen it. It's, um, it's great. It's really brilliant. It's got so I much I will probably it watch it again. Like... I'm surprised that we haven't reviewed the three Darren Brown um, specials that yeah, came out during yeah. that time. Is there yeah. a cult of Darren Brown? Is he a, right. is he well, a cult is... leader in the making? Yeah. I mean, I think he's a very interesting character because um, mm. I, I think he um, is very, he's very cognizant. Well, yeah, but he's also mm. very aware of the fact that um, a lot of what he does is used by um, 
charlatans mm. and and cult leaders in fact you know that's part of his gig it's almost you know mm. i'm gonna i'm gonna show you what these people do um mm-hmm. yeah we must do an episode where we talk about um a lot of his stuff because it's uh, it's mm-hmm. very very relevant I think, well yeah well i'm actually re-watching at the minute we um i'm visiting my partner and um me and uh, his housemates and, and him have been watching those. So we watched cool. The Push last night. We're watching um, The Sacrifice tonight. <laughs> yeah. 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 It finishes um, being big <laughs> physics lads. Um, we, will, we will go watch some psychological yeah <laughs> misdoings <laughs> question mark <laughs> yeah i mean there's all sorts to talk about yeah okay that's that's one for a future a future mm-hmm. watch and a future discussion um we Some also mentions for the watches then yeah we reviewed unorthodox which mm-hmm. was very very interesting um the hasidic, hasidic community and the story of a, a young woman who um escapes that uh, that life very very interesting mm-hmm. um we have reviewed the matrix um as a metaphor for leaving a, a high control group or a religion or a cult mm-hmm. um which was great fun i enjoyed that lots of people commented on that i got a lot of a lot of discussion we in, we reviewed red light i have a question based on the matrix though just to throw that okay. in there Go on then. um like with the matrix you know how you can't change your mind and take the other pill afterwards yeah so if you choose to see the truth you then can't go back do you think that's true of like um being an ex-witness once you've like undone the ideology if can you go could you ever go back i mean people do go back to to being witnesses again but their reasonings Mm. i wonder is it people that have undone the ideology or is it people that get disfellowship for other reasons and still Mm. um what is it pomi physically out mentally in yeah can pimis physically out mentally out Uh, can they can they that's the one can can they go back can they go back? Can 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 you be a pomo and then um, change your mind and, and end up being a pimi? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Can you promo to pimi? <laughs> <laughs> I guess anything's possible, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so you can't say it's never. It doesn't happen ever. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess people do. Um, when when there's a, uh, I I think at the moment with the pandemic and everything, then there will be some xjws who although say they don't believe it might have that niggling doubt and therefore might start to think about it again mm. um so i think yeah people do do change their mind of course don't they um so that is possible but i think it's quite rare um mm. mm-hmm. I, I i do remember people coming back you know they'd fallen away is what we used to say they fell away for a while and then they came back again you know now what what the reason was you know, it's hard to say, and it would have been for a multitude of things, and uh, not mm. necessarily that have been disfellowship, but just left. You know, um, it may have been that they always did believe it was the truth and did intend to go back to it again at some point, which I think is what a lot of people claim. Um, mm. So, yeah, if you're fully out mentally and physically going back in, unless you're doing it purely for the social aspect, um, and you can put up with the the nonsense then you're then. pimo aren't you yeah i guess you are yeah i guess you are interesting yeah. well i'll just throw, I'll throw that mm. in while we're talking about that mm. um yeah. so yeah we, also, we talked about re- yeah we reviewed the matrix and then we also reviewed red lights which was uh, one of mm-hmm. our earlier 
reviews mm-hmm. um, related to our supernatural episode. We we did an mm-hmm. episode which we quite enjoyed actually. We I, I nearly included that one in, um, mm-hmm. which was all about the supernatural and whether you know whether it's there are banging at the Heart Foundation and... <laughs> charity shop at night. You know, is <laughs> one of you know if you know, lines. and I'm not going to tell you any more than that. No, if you're if you're a true if you're a true fan, you know. <laughs> and if exactly. you're not, well, then you've got some work to do. You've got some exactly. homework. So, uh, so yeah, and we also reviewed The Village, um, another one of those mm-hmm. uh, films that people often cite as a as a way to kind of make sense of what's happened to them after they've left mm-hmm. the court. Uh, I've done some book reviews, um, which I probably won't read all those out, but uh, yeah, some interesting stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And we've we've got a couple more. Um, people that i i've actually added onto our list Celine. i don't know whether you noticed mm-hmm. um but so one of one of my favorite guests was elgin Strait, who um is an ex mooney and mm-hmm. we we started to talk about um this concept of blood guilt you raised the, the point and it was as much his reaction as anything that i think is really interesting so let's listen to yeah. the clip there's a lot of similarities already and it's like uh, yeah there's big things that are different like with the mass weddings but like we're talking about the guilt and pressure immediately Mm -hmm. i just think of you like dad and others i've spoken to talking about blood guilt immediately and this like i've got to go out and save the world because otherwise their blood is on my hands is quite literally Mm -hmm. yeah that's basically the same Mm -hmm. thing i've never heard that term it just gave me chills Mm -hmm. just hearing that blood guilt i haven't heard that but it's the same thing it's, yeah. it's the same god damn I've never yeah heard and you're before, a child yeah, and you're told that and yeah um so yeah it was really good talking to elgin though and uh-huh. we've been able to talk to lots of different um or people from lots of different groups so elgin from the moonies um we've talked to beth from the mormons um mm-hmm. obviously we've we've had angela from the uh, children of god cult um, and lots of others really it's been really really good to talk to people from these different groups and it always strikes us doesn't it how how similar um they are really how, yeah. how much they have in common mm-hmm. um and the, the final clip i wanted to play was actually from a recent one which was jilly jenkinson because mm-hmm. um, it nicely ties in um, the interview with donna so this little clip is where you're describing to jilly um, about some advice that Donna received from a friend of hers. Mm. I'll play the clip. When when uh, the person we were just talking to said she had doubts, her friend that was trying to help her to stay in was like, oh, I wish I could climb inside your brain and <laughs> replace everything with good thoughts. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> um, and she was like, oh, that's... Yeah brainwashing <laughs> and doubts and rebellions mm-hmm. are real it's your warning uh, signals yeah. and on it, the thing about putting on the new self it's not a new self it's mm. the cult pseudo identity and it's really clear if you could sit down with a big piece of paper or mm. something or do something creative around it mm. you know it could be really helpful to see actually this is not my authentic identity this Mm -hmm. is what i was told i had to be and it consists of this and this and this and this yeah so the main reason i put that was because that's the noise that a therapist makes (laughs) Mm. when Mm. 
when you tell her that story. I just thought that was a great reaction, you know. Yeah. Uh, it's like, that, that's, that, that is the sound of a horrified therapist uh, mm. right there. Well, there you go. You ever hear your yeah. therapist yeah. making that noise? You know what it means. Yes. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, so um, so we're coming to the end, I guess, of, of our of our mm-hmm. review. But I, I also wanted to make sure that I thanked that we thanked um, all of our guests that have been on the, the show. So I'm going to uh, quickly read out all of the other guests. So we've obviously talked about um, some of them mm-hmm. already. Uh, here, here's the rest of the guests that we've had on this year: uh, Donna Stevenson, Jilly Jenkinson, therapist, Angela Lathwell children of god free thought prophets seamus and john from their podcast bnt teenage fundamentalist from their podcast on evangelicalism uh, luke stevenson um x factor uh finalist and uh, and extraordinaire actor uh, and so on um we had the honor of speaking to jt and lady c um we had Jared from the Southern United States, Robin Jackson from uh, South Africa, XJW from South Africa. Of course, we've had Jexit on a couple of times, uh, Riley a couple of times, uh, Ryan David Tuttle, Mark Jones, the Cora guy, Jeffrey Wallace, the author of that fantastic book, um, A Voice from the Inside. Uh, and of course, Sarah, your mum, she mm. guest appeared on uh, our episode out in the wild. In fact, we're going to, I'd like to do more of that, actually, Celine. Get outside mm. broadcast going. Um, we can so do that we did... when it gets warmer. England is exactly. cold right now. <laughs> we, we went to uh, old Mother Shipton's caves and uh, talked about that. Uh, Camilla Didina. Um, I mean, another really fascinating interview. So if you've not heard that, then catch up with that. So Camilla has made the film debutantes um wonderful wonderful film and great to, to listen to um jill adams um, talking about sex and relationships um we spoke to germ from the youtube channel jordan robertson um again the shunned experience from his uh, own youtube channel and he's guest guested a couple of times on other discussions uh chris shelton from uh, as an ex-scientologist rob crompton XJW, uh, Dr. Clunthy, which is a, it's a Welsh name that I always get wrong. Um, and it's a, it's a pseudonym, but, um, thank you very much to her. Chris French, Professor Chris, Chris French from your old uni at Goldsmiths, uh, Ali Miller and Alex Miller. These are, uh, plus the ones we've already mentioned, all of the guests that we've had on the show. Uh, plus, I've also had producer Bob on a couple of times, and we're going to con- continue to do that uh, when we, we do something that's interesting, when we listen to some lecture or something that's interesting. So some more coming up of that. So um, I just want to say thank you to all of those people who have been on the show and have contributed to it. And we also wanted to thank Kate, Matilda and Kezia who were all part of our homeschooling special and they talked about their experiences. So we really enjoyed doing that episode. So thank you very much for taking part. And also, of course, a massive thank you to our patrons and anybody that's been a patron over the the last 12 months. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you very much for helping us and supporting us financially. Thank you again. Thank you. 
uh, today we're going to do a nice one. We're going to let um, Luke Stevenson play us out. We're doing our music of the week. Indeed. Yes, that's right. So a uh, new feature we started recently, which was to feature bands and musicians who are ex-witnesses or ex-groups. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, take it away, Luke. <laughs> now, thank you again and goodbye. And here's to another 100 episodes and another year. Bye. Bye.
should I think about is an Evil Sheep production. <laughs>